0: Um, How to do this and that. Those books are fine. But I bet you've never seen a book in the Christian bookstore entitled, How to Live in the Fear of God. That's not a bestseller. I'm not sure it's been written. But if you know anything about the Bible, scores and scores of time... From Genesis to Revelation, the Scripture admonishes us to fear God. And we have a problem with that. We want to water it down. Every time in a twentieth in a 21st century setting that this is mentioned, we want to water it down. We want to say, oh, but you don't understand. That means reverential awe. God has not given us the spirit of reverential awe that leaves something to be desired first of all that's not even the word for fear that's a different word altogether and when it says God has not given us the spirit of fear it's the spirit of timidity it's the spirit of wimpiness it's the spirit of being a coward God has not given us a spirit of wimpiness it's not the word phobia eulalia is the Greek word So I want to speak this morning on the subject that some of you probably never heard before. How to live in the fear of God. How to live in the fear of God. When I was growing up, one of the typical denominations of a Christian man or woman was to declare that they were a God-fearing man. Are any of you old enough to remember that? Let me see your hand. He was a God-fearing man. He was a God-fearing woman. In all likelihood, you haven't heard that lately, right? How to live in the fear of God. Now, I have a lot of Scripture, and I'm not going to read it all. I hope you'll take down the notes and read these references, uh, look up these references, because they're only one of a whole cornucopia of, of Scripture that relate to the uh, fear of God. Psalm Division 2. One of the great psalms of the, of the hymn book of the Bible. Psalm Division 2. And for the sake of time, we're going to break in at verse 11 and verse 12. Psalm Division 2, verse 11 and verse 12. Serve the Lord with, said out loud... I heard other translation. What did somebody else say? Serve the Lord with what? Reverence. Okay. Again, that leaves something to be desired. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. I think fear and trembling go together. I'm not sure reverence and trembling go together. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Turn over to Psalm 34, verse 9. Psalm 34, verse 9. Another great psalm. Verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me. Why? Because I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So it's something you learn, something you have to be taught. But it's something that's derived from a supernatural experience with God called a new birth. That's the beginning. How many of you want to know the mercy of the Lord? Say yes. Yes. How many of you want to know the wisdom of the Lord? How many of you want to know the favor of the Lord? How many of you want to know the pleasure of the Lord? How many of you want to know the goodness of the Lord? How many of you want to know the blessings of the Lord? Then the way, the doorway to that is fear God. Look it up for yourself. Blessing upon blessing. The beginning, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 34. Come ye children, listen to me and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Let me back up to verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. You have want? Check up on your fear of God. Are you listening to me? You have want? Check up on your fear of God. The Scripture says there is no lack, there is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Then turn over to Psalm 89, division, verse 7. Psalm 89, verse 7. Psalm 89, verse 7. God is greatly to be feared, where? In the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. So they're the two words not used as synonyms. He's to be greatly feared and to be held in reverence as well by all those around him. Psalm division 147, verse 11. Psalm 147, verse 11. Psalm 147. Let me read verse 10. I love this verse. He that is God does not delight in the strength of a horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, that's a way of saying it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He doesn't need your contribution. He doesn't need the strength of a man. He doesn't need the strength of the technology of that day. The most powerful technology of that day, a horse. He doesn't need that. It won't make any contribution to Him. He takes no pleasure in those things and in the offering of those things, but He does take pleasure in something. Don't miss this. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who do what? Fear Him. He takes pleasure in. That word pleasure is translated favor. He, he takes delight in. He, fi- he has affection, and affection toward. He has favor upon. He has pleasure in. He, it's acceptable to Him. There are a whole host of words that are connected with that word pleasure. But basically, the bottom line, He's pleased. That's the root of the word. He's pleased. God is pleased with those who do what? Who fear Him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. I know I said I wasn't going to read all of them, but I may. When it comes to preaching, I've never been much of a man for my word. I always talk about quitting, but I don't ever quit. Those things that I would do, I do not do. And those things that I do, I do not, would do. Whatever. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus is speaking. This is Jesus, the Son of God. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Acts chapter 5 verse 11. Acts chapter 5 verse 11. God's judgment has fallen upon two persons in the early church. And they have died as a result. And there's a fear that that shakes the place, fills the place. And it's a godly fear. There's a cowering, cringing, servile fear that's wrong. It's demonic. It's humanistic. But there's a godly fear that's ever right. Acts chapter 5, verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church... And upon all who heard these things. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, were built up. And notice... How they conducted themselves. And walking, how? In the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So they had the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, but in that manifest presence of God, there was the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Hebrews chapter 12, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. He's contrasting what happened on Mount Sinai versus the coming of the uh, the unshakable kingdom through the unchangeable person of the King Jesus in establishing the new covenant. And he says this, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve, present tense, go on serving God. And by the way, that word there is the word for worship. That we may go on worshiping God acceptably with reverence and what? Godly fear. With reverence and godly fear. Say it with me. With reverence and godly fear. One other passage, First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. And here's a command. Just as much a command as any of the other commands in the Bible. If you believe the Bible is inspired, yeah. God breathed. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He gives a list of things there, how we're to conduct ourselves, and here's what he says. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, that is the, 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 the household of faith, the church. Two words. What does it say? Fear God. Imperative mood. A command to be obeyed. Fear God. Honor the King. The person in authority. Let's bow together. Holy Spirit. Would you enable us right now to correct any misconceptions we have of the glorious being of our Father which is in heaven so that we may do as the psalmist admonished us and that is to long to kiss Him in intimacy but to tremble before Him in holy godly fear and in that trembling to rejoice as well. Correct it. Change it so that we begin to walk in the fear of the Lord and lack no good thing and live in your pleasure. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Recall these characters. Dorothy, the lion, the scarecrow, the tin man, and a little dog. And where would we be? Wizard of Oz. Okay. Our Oz. Now, these characters were all needy pilgrims who were encouraged to follow a yellow brick road that after a lot of detours would finally lead to the Emerald City, situated under a rainbow on a hill guarded by a gatekeeper. And their effort put forth to get there was in order to see the great and fearful Oz. But to their astonishment, when they got there and got behind the scene, Oz turns out to be a fake And the people with real power are witches, and as soon as old Oz is shipped out in a balloon, the real struggle begins between the good witches and the bad witches. Now, that ought to say something, that there's more there than just a harmless little story. I think it's a satire against the Christian faith. You say, well, I knew you were going to be against it. I'm not against it. I'm just telling you there's more there than meets the eye. So here's the question. Why is it that we will not accept the fear of God today? Why do we always try to explain it away? Why do we always try to explain the Scripture away by taking the terror and trembling out of it and meaning only, to mean, make it to mean only to stand in awe or, or to respect God? I think the musical, The Wizard of Oz, provides a part of the answer to these questions um, that, that are in the mind of so many moderns. And that is, in the modern mind, there's a feeling that behind the curtain over there, Behind the, the, the veil of time, in reality there's just kind of a, a an old geezer that's pulling strings and got smoke and mirrors and manipulating things and he's probably only an illusion. And there's that haunting feeling that this whole thing may just be an illusion, and if there is someone there, he's just a gentle con man who means well but really is harmless. Another question. Is your concept of God that is revealed in Scripture, or do you believe in a God who's kind of like us? I'm constantly encountering people who say, that's not my God. The God you're talking about is not my God. Well, it doesn't make any difference what your God is and my God is. God has revealed Himself to be a certain way in space-time history, in Christ and in Scripture, and that's who He is. Whether you like it or not. I am convinced, listen to this statement, I am convinced... That the greatest cause of weakness, of wickedness, of worries and woes in the church of the living God today is due to the lack of godly fear. Multitudes of pop psychology books burden the shelves of Christian bookstores dealing with the treatment of how to live free from fear. But you won't find a single one entitled, How to Live Full of the Fear of God. And because fear of God is at an all-time low, fears of everything else internalize our focus and terrorize and paralyze our faith. So that we have a big devil and a little God, we have, we're afraid of a we're afraid of a big government somewhere instead of being fearful of a big God. And there's one fear that will displace all other fears. And when it's a godly fear, then you will not have to worry about what man can do to you. Amen. Doctor Le Maxwell, founding uh, founder and and, and professor at, uh, years ago at, at uh, Prairie Bible Institute in Canada, said. If it's not already manifest, the future may make it clear as the noonday sun that the greatest crime committed against this generation has been the stubborn and stupid extermination of fear from the churches. Modern-day writer Mike Iaconelli was right when he said, We have defanged the tiger of truth. We have tamed the lion. The tragedy of modern faith is that we're no longer capable of being terrified. He went on to say, our world is longing to see people whose God is big and holy and frightening and yet gentle and tender. Like ours. A God whose love frightens people beyond their ability to withstand. And they cry out for fear lest they should die at the revelation of that God. But they're so drawn to Him that He's irresistible. And when they get to Him in those mighty arms, He draws them near unto Himself and whispers,
1: Child, I love you. Child, I love you.
0: The lion. The lamb. The transcendent and the imminent. The most high. The most nigh. There's got to be a balance. We've got to. when we, We talk about revival and the glory coming. But listen, when it comes, there'll be fear and trembling in the midst of the saints. There'll be a godly fear that'll cause people to say, you know the reason why I didn't commit that sin? It wasn't because of public opinion. It wasn't because I was afraid of my wife. It wasn't because I was afraid I'd get caught. It was because I fear God. Look up this way. Some of you already turned me off. Why? Because you don't like the subject. Look this way. This is a serious subject. And I'm as serious as I've ever been. Because the major problems in our lives, the major lack, the major frustrations, the major worries, the major woes and wickedness, for the most part, is due to the fact that we don't know how To kiss the Son, rejoice before Him, and tremble in His presence. But I hear someone protest. Pastor, there seems to be a contradiction in the Bible because when it comes to the subject of fear, the Bible says over and over again, fear not. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Jesus said for example in Matthew 10:28 that we read earlier, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Then in Luke 12:32 he said, "Fear not, little flock." What's the deal? He said fear and then fear not. Paul said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. John writes in 1 John 4:18, "There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear." One saint would say, Well, I know it must be the difference in the Greek word. No, it's the same word for the most part. It's phobia. Phobia, we get our word phobia from that. It's the same word. So the answer is not found in what the Greek word used is. Another modern Bible student was saying to him I know. You've got to understand that fear today simply means reverential awe. It means to pay respect to. It means to appreciate and respect God for who He is. Hey, I challenge you, check in your scriptures. Go from Genesis to Revelation to every person who met God and see if they simply stood in reverential awe. Every person who met God tried to bury themselves wherever they were. And those who met God and lived were amazed that they saw God and lived. You say, that scares me. Well, there's a good kind of fear. And that's what we're, de- that's what we're going to deal with today. So, so here's the truth. The truth is there's a no fear and a fear and a fear that's right fear. For example, we're told in Romans 3.18 that the unsaved have no fear of God before their eyes, yet they display that they fear God. How? Because they have a cowering, cringing fear of Him. They don't want to stiff-arm Him, keep Him at a distance, have nothing to do with Him, and never think about Him. When I was in sin, I didn't want to think about God. I didn't want you talking to me about God. I wasn't interested in religious programs. I, I didn't go to church. Hey, I didn't, there was no thought of God at all in my mind because the thought of God terrified me. Because I knew if He was, and He was who people said He was, then I wasn't who I was to be in relationship to Him. And I was in big trouble, so I didn't want anything to do with Him. He said, but if you'd had the right kind of God presented, no, it wouldn't have made any difference because in my heart I had a hatred toward God. Why? Because I was my own God, doing my own thing, running the affairs of my life. So it's godly fear that casts the great shadow of eternity upon every footstep that we take. It causes us to rejoice with trembling. To work our salvation out to its final conclusion with fear and trembling. The fear because our God is a consuming fire. We're to rejoice in God, but in the posture of holy trembling. We're encouraged to come freely to God, but not flippantly. We're encouraged to come to God as our Father. But listen, He's not your buddy. We're encouraged to call Jesus our elder brother, but you cannot forget He's also the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. We present a sweet Jesus that nobody has any fear of, but the Jesus who showed up in Revelation called John to twice fall on His face as a dead man. There's got to be a balance. You say, well, what about the indwelling Holy Spirit? He's my comforter, but He's also the controlling Christ. He's the other Jesus without a body. Come alongside on the inside to recreate the likeness of Christ and represent Jesus to me. So it's not the sweet Holy Spirit. It's the sovereign Holy Spirit who's just like Christ. Now, first point. All that was front door. Introduction. The fear of God is the door that opens to the enjoyment of God's pleasure. Say it with me. The fear of God is the door that opens to the enjoyment of God's pleasure. Psalm 147, 11 says, God, verse 10 said, He didn't take pleasure in horses nor in the strength of men's legs, but He takes pleasure in those who, say it again, fear Him. He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. So the fear of the Lord is the open door that will usher you in by the power of the Spirit, according to the Word of God, into the place of acceptance and into the into the presence of and before the face of a God that you can live in and know that His pleasure is toward you. Now that ought to encourage you. Yeah. But before I talk about enjoying God, I want to talk about three types of fear in the Scripture that are ungodly and that will never enjoy the pleasure of God, even though they are fear. There's a fear that is that enmity with God. That word enmity means to have a settled state of dislike, even hatred for. Underground. You may say, unbeliever, even I would, if you'd asked me while I was an unbeliever, "Do, do, do you love God? Oh yeah, I love God. You don't expect me to say, I hate God. I mean, I mean even people who don't believe in God are a little bit hesitant about standing up and saying, God, if you're there, kill me now. I've tried to get a few atheists to say, Well, God, if you're there, just kill me. Well, I don't want to do that in just in case He is. Have you had encounters like that? So a fear, there's a fear that is enmity with God. That is, it has a settled state of dislike, distrust of, disbelief in, and even hatred toward God. And this is fear that causes one to fight God. Exodus 23, verse 27. Let me just read it for you. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So this verse reveals that God sent His fear ahead of the children of Israel to terrorize the Canaanites. But what did they do? Instead of, instead of being a godly fear, this fear that God sent toward them didn't cause them to turn to faith, but it, didn't turn them to, it caused them to turn to fight God. So they began to band together and get their armies together instead of surrendering. Surrendering to the people of God, they begin to fight against the people of God and the things of God. So there's a fear that causes people to fight against God. Uh, This is best exemplified today in the relentless attacks of the atheist upon God's existence. If God doesn't exist in the mind of an atheist, why didn't He give up and quit fighting God? Why do you want to fight something that there's not something? You can't fight something if there's not anything. So just give up. Atheist James Mitchell wrote in his book, The God I Want. Here's what he said. The value of a God must be open to test. No God is worth preserving unless he is of some practical use in curing the ills which plague humanity. All the disease and pain and starvation, the little children born crippled and spastic are mentally defective. A creator God would be answerable to us for these things at the day of judgment if he dared to turn up. No Fear of God before their eyes. Saying, God, you should be like this. If you had half the intelligence that I have, this is the way you'd be. But because you're not that way, you're persona non grata. You're not wanting. The bottom line is if you're not a God-fearer, you're a fool. Listen: Psalm 14:1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. <clears throat> There's a fear that causes people to fight God. There's a fear that causes one to flee from God. Genesis 3.10 records the, the words of Adam in question, to, uh, in response to God's questions. Adam, where are you? He said, I heard your voice and I was afraid. Sin... Causes man to be afraid, and so he flees from God. He tries to get away from God. Hear me and hear me carefully. The Scripture says in Romans chapter three that there's none good, there's none that seeks after God. Romans three eleven. There is none righteous, no not one. There is none that seeks after God. Now let me ask you a question. What does none mean? No one. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: <laughs>
0: You're already at the head of the class in my humble opinion, most of the time. No. I mean, you don't have a problem understanding that, right? There is how many that seeks after God? Not one. You say, what about all the other religions? What about all the temples? And what about all the things? What about the Buddhist monks? And what about the, uh, what about the Muslims? What what about them? They are not seeking the God of the Bible. They're running from him as hard as they go. They are fleeing from him. And the scripture explicitly says that the God of the heathen is not the God of the Bible and not the God that they're seeking. Here's exactly what the Bible says. First Corinthians 10, 20 the things which the Gentiles sacrifice they sacrifice to demons and not to God Isabel Kuhn was a missionary to China and she said I've been a missionary for 27 years but I never met a heathen tribesman who was looking for salvation their eyes look not up but down down on the earth and upon their bodily appetites and then thirdly there's an ungodly fear that makes one forego doing anything Luke 1921, Jesus is telling a parable. He gave out the talents. The fellow that got one hit it. When the accountability came, when, when reckoning time came, he said, Hey, I didn't do anything. I didn't run the risk of losing it. I didn't try to invest it. I dug a hole, I buried it, I kept it safe. Here it is. What did he do? He played it safe. One pastor has a book published called, and it's a great book. It's entitled Your God is Too Safe. That's the problem with our God. He, our God he's too safe. Nobody fears God because he's too safe. But the God of the Bible is not safe. He's wild and reckless and incredibly wild. Look at the universe. Look at what it is. You think he's tame and tameable? That's what excites me. I don't want to tame God. I want a God that scares the hell out of me. I mean that literally. I want to fear the God who put my soul in hell forever. But I'm attracted to the love that was willing to die than live without me. So there's a fear that makes one forego doing anything. This is the person who tries to play it safe by not taking it. He doesn't openly deny Christ, but neither will he publicly confess Him. He says he believes in Him, but he won't be baptized. He said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but he won't identify with Christ's people. Hey, I'm telling you there's a fear that makes one forego doing nothing in order to play it safe, and that is not acceptable to God. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Heavenly Father. Here's the second idea. The second idea is that the fear of God is derived from entering into the relationship of sonship. Say it with me. The fear of God is derived from entering into the relationship of sonship. You will never know the fear of God in the true sense, the acceptable sense, the sense of salvation, except that you come into a relationship with God through the process called sonship. You receive the spirit of adoption. You're placed as a mature son. You're birthed into the family of God. Now let me show you the the illustrations of this. Sonship is modeled in Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says about the relationship of sonship between father and son in the person of father and Jesus. Turn in your Bibles quickly to Isaiah chapter 11. See who can get there first. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2. There. I win. It helps that I had it marked, but. Hebrews chapter, I mean Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 2. You'll recognize this as a prophecy about Jesus. He'll come forth from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of its roots. Now notice, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. Now notice this next phrase. The Spirit of knowledge and of, say it, the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord resting upon whom? Say it out loud. Jesus. All of these other characteristics of the Spirit of God resting upon him, but the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Let's continue to read. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Let me just read it for you since I already have it in my notes. Who, that is Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. And was heard because of his godly fear. And was heard because of his godly fear. To whom is the author speaking? Say it again. Jesus that's the relationship of sonship. Now there are two phases of godly fear. There are two phases of godly fear. There's a fear that is in root to God. Romans eight fifteen. Turn down your Bible quickly. You got gotta hurry up. Romans eight, verse fifteen. And you can go to the back now. <laughs> Romans 8:15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now here's the key. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again. But hear me. Every person, to some degree, that's saved by the grace of God, re- receives the spirit of bondage to fear. In other words, this is just another way of saying that the initial work of the Holy Spirit is to quicken a sin-dead heart, unstop deaf ears, open blind eyes, and when you see yourself as a sinner and God is holy, 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 I'm going to tell you, you are fearful. That's what He's talking about. Listen, listen to the words of, of, of John Bunyan. You, you know, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. Spent... 13 years in prison because he refused to take a license to preach. And he tells in his autobiography, Grace Abounding, that he was in the spirit of bondage to fear for 18 months. So much so, he tells us, that on certain occasions he wished that he were not alive or that he were even an animal, even a dog or horse, for he knew that they had no souls to perish in hell. On another occasion, he tells us that this fear was so great that he could have sworn that he smelled brimstone in the air. When God came to me on October the 3rd, 1966, on a Sunday night at 9.30 p.m., I want you to know He didn't come as a gentleman to offer a gentleman's invitation. He came as a sovereign and kicked in the door and said, I'm here to take over. And I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Is there any hope for me? Is there any mercy for me? You say, I wasn't as wicked as you, so I didn't have such a radical thing. I, I understand that. But it took the same power to save you because you were just as wicked as me in essence and would have gone to the same hell from your nice home and from your nice Christian atmosphere. Except the man be born again, he cannot ever see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God. I love, I love that grand old national anthem of the Baptist Church. Amazing grace. It's a great hymn. We ought to sing all the verses. There's 18 of them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Here's one of the verses. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And then grace my fears relieved. The same grace that shook me before holy God and caused me to cry out, Is there any hope or mercy for someone as wicked as I? Revealed the grace of God in Christ Jesus and said, Wilt thou go with this man? I said, Hallelujah. Yes! I trembled. I kissed Him. I rejoiced in Him. Amen. Can I get some help? Don't just look at me and say, that's a good show. This is not a show. Say, yes. Yes. There's something in my spirit that says, yes. I mean, is there? Yes. Now, the fear that enjoys God. See, this whole deal, God wants us to enjoy Him. Westminster Catechism, question one, What is the chief end of man? To glorify God forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For a long time, I was much on glorifying God, but I have to admit, I didn't enjoy Him much. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit eight years ago, and I've been enjoying God more ever since. But it didn't change the fact that my chief end is to glorify God. To magnify God. To extol God. So there's a fear that enjoys God. Now, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. See, this is the godly fear that typifies the life of every believer. It's not the servile, that means servant, a uh, slave. It's not the slavish dread of one who cowers before a tyrannical master, but it's a son who delights in and yet, yet fears the Father. He's drawn to Him, but it's such an awesome, overwhelming, overpowering, incredible, uh, glorious, majestic. oh, oh. God is
1: awful.
0: You know, uh, English language has changed. Awful today means what? Bad. Terrible today means bad. In Elizabethan English, in the language in which the Bible was written, King James English, awful was good. When you said God is awful, it meant you said God is full of all. He is all some. When you said he was terrible, it was a good thing, not a bad thing. And the Puritans, they write about the terribleness of God. That is the awfulness of God. So. It's a delight that is awed and humbled, reverent and happy that God is the majestic, mighty being that revealed himself to be in Scripture. I tell God all the time, God, I'm so glad you're just exactly like you said you were. I like everything about you. I like your love. I like your holiness. I like your righteousness. I like your wisdom. I like your omniscience, your omnipresence. I like your omnipotence. I like your righteousness. I like your judgment. I like your wrath. I like everything about you. I like you that you created heaven. I like you that you created hell. And I'm astounded that I'm not in hell. And the amazing thing is that I'm going to heaven when I die. I like you, God, just like you are. I don't want to make you remake you. I don't want to project an image that you're not. I want to bow my knees, shut my mouth and say, this is the God of the Bible. Awesome, awful, holy, majestic, mysterious, most high, yet most nigh, who's my father and our father in heaven. Hallelujah. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God who's worthy of worship. That's the God that you won't approach flippantly. That's the God that'll cause you to fall on your face and cry out my God, my God, my God. Oh God. There's awfulness. There's overpoweringness. And there's energy. Those are the three things. When you come in contact with the God of the Bible, there's awesomeness, overpoweringness and energy. Sure. Mostly we just deal with the presence. Soon we're going to be dealing with the glory. When the glory of God, the excellence of God, the outshining, the radiance of God begins to manifest itself in the presence of the people of God. There will be a crying out, "Oh Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Do you ever wonder why the children of Israel said to Moses, Don't let this God speak to us again. You, you go talk to them, and then you talk to us. Why? Because they were totally, absolutely, 100% scared out of their wits. Whoa. Let me tell you about the sweet, mild, meek Jesus. The disciples are out on the sea. And there's a storm. These are, these are veteran seasoned fishermen. They've been in many storms. they were out there, and the storm's tossing them, the wind's tossing them to and fro. And they're afraid they're going to sink and drown. Natural fears. Nothing wrong with that. And then lo and behold, they see something that really scares them to death. They see a man walking on the water. And he's walking right in the middle of the sea, in the winds and everything. And lo and behold, it's Jesus. And he steps over into the boat, and he raises up, and he says, Peace be still. And the waves go just like a little puppy lying at his master's feet. And the scripture says, I'm paraphrasing, but it's just basically what it says. They were absolutely terrified. They were more afraid after the storm was gone, than they were before in the middle of the storm. Why? Because a person so powerful, so glorious, so majestic, that can not only walk on the sea, but command the forces of nature to say, stop it, and it stops. That person is to be feared. Now, I'm hurrying along. Let me, let me just read you some Scripture. I'm going to give you three ways, three ways how to be feared. But listen, let me give you this Scripture. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Psalm 89, 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. First Chronicles 16:25 through 30. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear are trembled before Him all the earth. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Ephesians 5.21, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is husband and wife. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1.17, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time of stay here in fear. Romans 11.12, well said because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith, do not be haughty, but fear first peter two seventeen honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. First Peter 3 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Psalm two, verse ten and eleven. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, trembling, rejoicing, and kissing, trembling, rejoicing and kissing. Here's what that means. It's so easy to get out of balance, and we get into the rejoicing part, and we're dancing before the Lord. That's wonderful. But don't get out of balance and forget the trembling part. God says that the person that I dwell is with is the person who's a broken and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word? Trembling, rejoicing, kissing—the passionate intimacy. It's like two pure, pure, pure virgins—a man and a woman. And both of them, there's a a fear, but there's a passionate desire. A fear of the consummation, a fear of the unknown. But there's a drawing, there's an attraction, and there's a desire. There's a desire to be intimate with God in a deeper way than husband and wife could ever imagine. But there's a fear in that process, but it's a holy fear, a godly fear, a pure fear, a wholesome fear, because of the awesome, majestic, mighty God that He is. Now, let, let, me, uh, let me sum it up. The last point. The fear of God. The fear of God is developed by exercising the fellowship of the Spirit in worship. Come, you children, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 89, 7, He's greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Psalm 96, 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. Now, in order to stay filled... With the fear of God, the first thing you have to do is know, know that you're a son. You, you have got to know that you have a relationship with God through Christ, that you're a son of God, generically speaking. You're, you're a son and daughter of God. But when you get in and the fear of God is birthed into you, you've got to cultivate it. You've got to be taught it. You've got to learn it. You've got to live in such a way as to fear God. Here's the first thing. There's three things, and I'm finished. Don't, don't quit listening. This is too important. I mean, this, you cannot, you're not going to get this in the bookstore. You understand that, right? You couldn't go anywhere else in town and get what I'm giving you today. You say, you tooting your own horn. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you this is an important message. In all probability, there's not a, another place that's being taught today about the fear of God. And and if you don't think it's important, just get a concordance. Get on the computer. Get your Bible out and look up the fear of the Lord and fear of God. See how many times it's mentioned. Not just in the Old old Testament. No, 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 no. It's New Testament. And the revelation ends with the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. Now here's the first thing of the three things. Number one, if you're going to live full of the fear of God, there's got to be a correction of all perverted concepts of the character of God. A correcting of all perverted concepts of the character of God. There's got to be a reverential esteem of His majesty. Our attitude toward God reveals the same problem that Luther said Erasmus had. Our God is too human. Our problem is that we have, that we have, we have negated for the most part the transcendence of God. What does transcend means? It means He's above and beyond. Thank you. We've talked about the eminence of God, and that's important, that He's nigh, that He's close, closer than than these people on the front row, within me, yes, but He's also God Most High, God Most Nigh, God Most High, and those are not mutually exclusive, they come in the same package of who God is. For many people, God is is like a celestial Santa Claus who's in the sky dispensing gifts indiscriminately. For others, God is a super psychiatrist that you go to when you need help. For others, God is the master financier and banker, oh God, come through, or I'm sunk, and for others... God is something else. But the God of the Bible reveals Himself to be the true and the living God, solitary in His majesty, unlimited in His power, unique in His excellencies. He never forgets. He never fails. He never falters. And He never forfeits His word. He cannot do anything that's inconsistent with His character. He cannot lie, die, nor does He try. Nor does He make mistakes because the aforementioned are inconsistent with His essential being. He cannot act contrary to Himself. To believe in Him doesn't add a thing to His perfection. To doubt Him takes nothing away. Because all things are of Him, through Him, and unto Him. He is the derivation, He is the dynamic, and He is the destination. He is the goal, He is the beginning, He is the end, He's everything in between, and this book is not about you, this book is about God. Church is about God. Christian life is about God. It's not all about you, it's all about Him. And the story is the God story, and it's the glory story. And as soon as we get dismounted from the high horse of humanism and begin to fall on our face and say, oh God, you are my God there's none like you I kiss you I tremble before you and I tremble at your word and I can't do it I won't do it I won't say it I won't go there not because of any other reason other than the fact that I love you and I fear you
1: I love you and I fear you
0: now I was skipping over right esteem of his purity what that means is nowhere in the Bible does it say God is love 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 he's love to his essential nature but it's, it's a holy love The Bible does say three times over God is holy, holy, holy. That means He's a cut above. Absolute holy. And when His holy love encounters anything that's unholy, the result is the wrath of God. And number two, listen quickly, you're doing well. Don't don't quit listening, please don't. I just got two more little, little points, I promise. Not only, listen, not only being willing. To have a correction of any perverted concepts that you have of the character of God. But secondly, cultivating a pervasive consciousness of the presence of God. Cultivating a pervasive consciousness of the presence of God. You know, most of us when we, ins- when we sin, we don't, when we confess, we don't confess the fact that we insulted the, the, the omnipresence of God. Because most of the time when we do something, we wouldn't dare do it in the presence of another person. But we do it in the presence of God. And what we do by that is saying, God, you don't see and you don't know and you don't care. It doesn't matter. I'll do something, think something, say something and not pay any attention to it when I'm alone. But what I'm doing is saying, God, you're not here. You're over there somewhere. It doesn't matter. I'll just go ahead and do it. But you wouldn't dare to do it before someone else. So when I sin, I the first thing I confess is, oh, God, I've insulted your omnipresence. I've done something. I've done something in the absence of other persons that I would have never done. But I've done it in your presence. Forgive me. The old Puritans had had an expression. R.C. Sproul uses it all the time. It's called living coram deo. C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O. It's a Latin term. It means literally before the face of God or in the presence of God. You begin to live performing to the audience of one. Joseph, a teenage boy down in Egypt, when he had an opportunity to really get back even with everything that had happened to him in a bad way, Uh, had an opportunity to lie with his master's wife and she was trying to seduce him. But he said, I will not do this and sin against my God and sin against my master. Primarily against my God. Nehemiah in chapter five said, I won't do this and sin against God. Why? Because they were practicing and performing before an audience of just one. So you cultivate the pervasive consciousness of the presence of God and God's present when you don't feel him. God's present when you don't see him. God's present when you can't hear him. God is speaking when he's not, when you, when you can't hear anything. God is present when you don't sense anything. God is... God is here. God is here. There's nowhere He's not. There are times when He's more manifestly here, but God is here. And wherever you are, as a child of God, God is there. But He's not there as the cosmic voyeur peeping in on you. He's there as the Father who says, I love you so much and I have so much in store for you that I'm not going to let you ruin and wreck your life. I'll be like the lion and tear you to shreds in order to be like the lamb and remake you in order to make you and break you and bring you to the fullness of joy and peace in me so that you'll rejoice in me and exalt in me and glory in me. And then last of all, choosing a perpetual commitment to the will of God. Choosing a perpetual commitment to the will of God. Psalm 128, verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in His way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in His ways. Hebrews 12, 28, Whereby receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve. We may worship God with, godly, with reverence and godly fear. So godly fear means that in meekness and trembling and reverence and awe and in rejoicing and of heart in worship and praise and loving obeying God the fear of God is that deference to God which leads us to sub- subordinate our will to do his to make our intention to please him it doesn't make any difference how much you say I love God I love God John said uh, Jesus said in the in the gospel of John he that hath my commandments and keeps them he's the one that loves me if you don't obey me he said don't talk about loving me
1: amen
0: Happy is everyone that fears the Lord that walks in His ways. Once more to quote Mike Iaconelli. He said, I'd like to suggest that the church become a place of terror again. A place where God has to continually tell us, fear not. A place where our relationship with God is not simply a belief or a doctrine or a theology. It is God's burning presence in our lives. I'm suggesting that the tame God of relevance be replaced by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. The church needs to become a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except us. Nothing, including our plans, our agendas, our priorities, our politics, our money, our security, our comfort, our possessions, our needs. Nothing is safe except ourselves, and we're in a love relationship with this awful, Majestic, terrible, glorious God who wants to be Father. What a God. What a mighty God. What a glorious God. What an awesome God. What a fearful God. Now I want to ask you in closing. I want to ask you the question that the repentant thief dying on the cross beside Jesus asked his comrade in crime who was also dying on the cross and in a few short moments would be in eternity. He said... Do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? You say, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to respond to this. Good. That's good. Here's what I want you to do. Don't cast it aside. Wrap faith around it. The Scripture says of the Bereans... That they heard the word of the Lord gladly and then searched the scriptures to see if those things were true or not. In other words, they didn't reject it outright. They heard the word gladly and then they searched the scriptures to find confirmation. Search the scriptures to find confirmation and then ask God to move you into the place where you can live daily to be filled with the fear of God. Would you bow your head with me just for a minute, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. This This is going to be the invitation this morning. Because I believe this is so, so so profound, so powerful. Not profound, just, just po- po- powerful is the word. So needed. So so essential for our times. That we, we, we need time to meditate on the word. Search the word and have the Holy Spirit work it into our character. How, how many would say, Pastor, before my God and in your presence as well, I want to learn how fear God in the right sense of the word. Uplifted hands all over this meeting house. I want to learn how to live filled with godly fear. Yes. Yes. Lord, I lift my hand. I lift my hand because I have to confess that you've been too tame in my life. You've been too safe, too cozy, too comfortable. So that I tend to choose my will over yours. Do my thing over yours. And I want to thank you, Father, for revelation, for illumination concerning the word of truth. Thank you for your precious people who sat here patiently this morning and heard the word of the Lord. And I pray, Father, that none of them sat above the word. But all of them set under the Word. Not as auditors of the truth, but as hearers of the truth. And that they'll wrap faith around what they've heard. And what is not, if if I said anything that's contrary to the revealed Word of God, would you please show it to them real quick. But those things that I've I've proclaimed this morning, would you right now begin to teach them the fear of the Lord. So that when we come together as a people, it is as a God-fearing people. It's not a people who are, Lord, it's not a people who are afraid to rejoice and celebrate. Not, I know that's not true. But, but it's also a people who are not careless, and who, 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 are, who tremble at your word. And a people who are broken. And a people who, who say, God is greater than anything that we can imagine. He's awesome obviously, if you can find that, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. We're going to stand in a moment and sing it. Just go ahead and stand. We're going to sing that in just a moment. If you can, it's okay. We'll sing sing without the music. But I want to ask you one more time with the heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there someone here this morning before we go? Is there someone here this morning that would say, Pastor? I have had the wrong kind of fear. It's been a fear that's been fighting against God. It's a fear that's been running from God, fleeing God. It's a it's a fear that's forsaken doing anything, just trying to avoid the whole issue. God's spoken to me this morning. God said something to me this morning. And and and, and I wanna I wanna have a I wanna have that fear that takes me to God. I want to have that fear that's en route to God so that I can enjoy God and live in godly fear all the days of my life. Is there one person you'd say that's me? Raise raise your hand, let me. Pray for you. You don't have to come. You don't have to do anything. I just want to pray for you. Yes. Uplifted hands all over the meeting house. Yes. Uplifted hands all over the meeting house. Father, once again, I thank you and bless you and praise you for these who've raised their hands and said, I I want to enjoy godly fear. I want to be en route to that godly fear. So Lord, for those that need the restoration there, do it. For those who need that revelation there, do it. For those who need that impartation there, do it. May this be the day of an open door through which they come to live in the pleasure of the Lord in knowing that they are a god fear. Let it be so. For those that have never come to fear you in a godly, saving sense, let this be the day. This be the day in which you do that. Let it be done. Let it be done. Right Right now, in Jesus' name.